you so much for tuning in to LearnCast. My name is Marusa, and today we're going to be talking about cellular respiration. Cellular respiration is a cell's way to create energy. It breaks down sugar and other macromolecules to create ATP, which is the body's most important form of energy. And it happens in both plants and animals. It's kind of like the reverse reaction of photosynthesis, where photosynthesis uses energy, water, and carbon dioxide to create glucose and oxygen. Cellular respiration does the reverse. It uses glucose and oxygen to make water, carbon dioxide, and energy. So most of cellular respiration happens in the mitochondrion, aka the powerhouse of the cell. The mitochondrion has different components that are involved in different parts of cellular respiration. The mitochondrion has two membranes, the outer membrane and the inner membrane. And the inner membrane is bent into several folds that are known as cristae. And this helps to create more surface area and it'll help with more respiration as we'll see later. So the area between the two membranes is known as the intermembrane space and the inside of the mitochondrion is known as the matrix. Cellular respiration consists of four different parts, glycolysis, then the link reaction, then the Krebs cycle, and then the electron transport chain. Each stage happens in different places in and out of the mitochondrion. Let's start with glycolysis. This is the first stage of respiration. So the purpose of glycolysis is to break down sugar into a smaller compound that can be used by the mitochondrion. It happens outside of the mitochondrion in the cytoplasm. So the first part of glycolysis is known as the energy investment phase. Here it uses two ATP to break down the glucose molecule into two molecules that have three carbons each. Those three carbons are then transformed into two pyruvates. This creates 4 ATP and reduces 2 NAD plus to form NADH. So this is the energy payback phase. So glycolysis has a net gain of 2 ATP and 2 NADH. And each NADH carries a pair of electrons and they'll become really important later during respiration. Now let's focus on, on what happens inside the mitochondrion. If oxygen is present, then the two pyruvates go inside the mitochondrion into the matrix. And this is where the link reaction takes place. So the link reaction converts each pyruvate into an acetyl coenzyme A. The link reaction starts when a carboxyl group is taken from each pyruvate and then it becomes carbon dioxide as a waste product. And then the remaining compound which we'll call acetate, transfers a pair of electrons to NAD+, which reduces it to NADH. Finally, a compound called coenzyme A attaches to the acetate, forming acetyl-coenzyme A. And all of this is for one pyruvate, so with both pyruvates from one glucose, we get two carbon dioxide as waste, two NADH, each with two electrons, and two molecules of acetyl-coenzyme A. Now we enter the Krebs cycle, which is still in the matrix. The Krebs cycle produces ATP, 
carbon dioxide, NADH, and FADH2. So the Krebs cycle is really complicated and there's a bunch of intermediates in between and I'll just go through the whole thing and then I'll show a way how to remember all the intermediates at the end. So in the Krebs cycle, coenzyme A leaves acetyl-CoA and the remaining acetate bonds with oxaloacetate to form citrate. With the help of a water molecule, the citrate rearranges to form isocitrate. The water molecule kind of just enters in and then comes back out. Now remember how in the link reaction, you took a carbon dioxide and two electrons out of pyruvate? And so this happens again. So a carbon dioxide is taken out of isocitrate and then isocitrate gives two electrons to NADH. And then now it becomes alpha-ketoglutarate. And then this happens again to ketoglutarate and then it becomes succinyl-CoA. And then right here, a GTP, which is similar to ATP, is formed. And then succinyl-CoA becomes succinate. Next, succinate gives two electrons to FAD, which makes it into FADH2, and then succinate becomes fumarate. And then fumarate gets rearranged to become malate with the help of a water molecule. And finally, malate gives two electrons to NAD plus to make NADH, and then it becomes oxaloacetate. And then this binds with acetate again to start the Krebs cycle again. So you have eight intermediates in the Krebs cycle. I have a way to memorize it. If you have a better way, then by all means go ahead and do that. But my way of remembering it is a sentence that goes like this. Can I keep saving sugar for making Oreos? I don't know, Oreos are amazing, so I just chose that. But anyways, it has like the same first letters as all of the intermediates. And so I think it's a good way to help remember. There's two S's. And so the way I remember is that the first S is saving. So saving has an A in it. And then so that corresponds to succinyl-CoA. So yeah, that's an easy way to remember it. Anyway, back to the Krebs cycle. So with one round of the Krebs cycle, with one pyruvate, you get one ATP, two carbon dioxide, three NADH, one FADH2. And then so with both pyruvates, or one glucose, you get two ATP, six NADH, 2-FADH2, and 4-carbon dioxide. Now we have a bunch of electron carriers that are ready with electrons. So if we count back from the beginning of respiration, we have 10-NADH and 2-FADH molecules. Now all these electron acceptors then go to the electron transport chain, which is the final part of respiration. So the electron transport chain is in the inner membrane of the mitochondrion, all the carriers are embedded inside the lipid bilayer. And so the electron transport chain produces most of the ATP produced during respiration through a process called oxidative phosphorylation. The electron transport chain has many different um, carriers and complexes and cytochromes and whatnot. Names aren't very important, so I'm not going to go through them that much. 
And the electron transport chain here is really similar to the one that we studied during photosynthesis. So NADH and FADH2 give their electrons to the chain, and the electrons pass through each carrier, and their energy is used to pump hydrogen ions into the intermembrane space. So this creates a proton gradient between the matrix and the intermembrane space. So in a process called chemiosmosis, the hydrogen ions leave the intermembrane space through ATP synthase. And then this causes ATP synthase to combine ADP and PI into ATP. Now this is where oxygen comes in. Oxygen is needed here as the final acceptor of hydrogen ions and electrons to form water in order to maintain the proton gradient. After ATP synthesis, the hydrogen ions go back into the matrix, but with too much hydrogen in the matrix, then there won't be a proper proton gradient, so ATP synthesis won't happen. So the electron transport chain produces the most ATP in respiration, up to 32 ATP from one glucose. So combined, glycolysis, the Krebs cycle, and the electron transport chain produce about 36 ATP per molecule of glucose. And this much ATP requires the use of oxygen, and so this process is known as aerobic respiration. Respiration is possible without oxygen, but it produces a lot less ATP than aerobic respiration. That's all I have for now. So to summarize, aerobic cellular respiration is composed of glycolysis, the link reaction, the Krebs cycle, and finally, the electron transport chain. And this is all to produce ATP to provide energy for an organism. Thank you so much for joining me on our review of cellular respiration. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and check out our website to stay up to date with the latest releases. Until next time, remember to listen, learn, and repeat. I wish you guys a very wonderful day.